Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It's January the 17th, 2022. It's early afternoon on the West Coast of the United States in San Francisco, where I always broadcast where I live. It's Martin Luther King Day, but for better or worse, uh, MLK is taking the back seat today in the newspapers to COVID, which once again dominates the headlines. The hockey stick is up dramatically, 800,000 cases uh, daily in the United States. I was in uh, Costa Rica all of last week. Didn't seem as many COVID cases, but getting on and off aircrafts these days uh, in the age of COVID is a complicated business. The politics of COVID, I think, are beginning to shape the early part of the 21st century. It's becoming increasingly clear that we live in an age of, if not science denial, certainly the questioning of science and the politics of science denial or the politics of science are increasingly dominating. Uh, CDC's new challenge, grappling with imperfect science. I've never heard of perfect science, but certainly we're all struggling to make sense of science and the role of scientists in the age of COVID. Uh, some people apparently are dropping their COVID-19 precautions in the age of Omicron, uh, according to the journal, despite the risks. Um, and the politics, of, uh, the politics of COVID and of the vaccine are playing themselves out in all sorts of interesting ways. Joe Rogan, one of the most prominent podcasters on the internet, one of the most powerful, I think, intellectual personalities of our age, uh, has resisted um, the vaccine. He's also a big proponent of what he calls a, a carnivore diet. Doctors are pushing back on Rogan. Uh, some uh, doctors are demanding Spotify put an end to apparently what they call the COVID lies on the Joe Rogan experience. And we're seeing, I think, the emergence of two sides. Jordan Peterson, who the United, who um, the New York Times described as the world's most influential intellectual, um, has supported uh, Rogan and he responded to Trudeau's, uh, his prime minister, the Canadian prime minister's COVID plea, you have to kill me first. Um, I saw uh, Peterson talking with his daughter, Michaela Peterson, another prominent intellectual uh, internet personality on the Michaela Peterson show recently. The show was from 2020, but I re-watched it and it seems pertinent in all sorts of different ways. So I'm thrilled uh, that uh, Michaela Peterson, the host of the Michaela Peterson podcast, is joining me from her home in Nashville, Tennessee. Michaela, welcome. Thank you so much for having me on. Well, we we did it the other way around, Michaela, last month. I was on your show. This time, you're my guest. Um, my introduction, I think, was a little sprawling and incoherent. What I was trying to say was that we obviously live in the age of COVID. You mentioned before the show that you've had it three times. But we live in an age where medicine and politics seem to be 
colliding. They're intimately bound up with one another. Do you think that's true? Definitely. Definitely in regards to COVID. Certainly in the last couple of years. And it shouldn't be that way at all. People should be ideally researching for themselves and trying to come to their own conclusions. But it is wrapped up in politics. And now it seems like if you're on the right, you have to be anti-COVID and I guess the left might refer to that as anti-science. And if you're on the left, you have to be pro-vaccines. So it, you know, yes, to answer your question, they're very intertwined at the moment. But I think COVID, uh, to use a rather bad pun, is not the main course here. I think it might be an indicator of something deeper, a more profound shift in the way we think about ourselves, our bodies. We're supposed to be living in a post-ideological age where the traditional left and right have disappeared. And we're increasingly, I yeah. suspect, thinking of ourselves in terms of our bodies and our health. Struck me doing my research on you, Michaela. You're a big fan of the lion diet. It's come to define you. Indeed, um, on your website, uh, under what I do, you say, I promote an unusual diet that has allowed me to get off over 10 medications and put my several seemingly incurable lifelong diseases into complete remission. I want to get into that a little bit later, get into the, the details of your own particular condition. But what strike, struck me sort of reading about you and doing my research is that this seems to be increasingly typical. We are defining ourselves according to our bodies and our ills. Do you think that's fair? I'd say that's definitely fair. And that's certainly not how I wanted to, I guess, conduct my life growing up. Being defined as a diet person was, and I still find it like relatively repulsive. But I would say in general, yeah, people are defining themselves by um, maybe the hardships they've experienced more and more uh, for whatever reason. But that definitely wasn't my goal, but it is how, how life ended up. Uh, Michaela, I usually have authors on the show. You don't have a book out at the moment, but you're working on your own memoir, which will be out in 2023. Please, God, touch wood. And of course, you're more than welcome to come back and talk about the memoir. Thank you're you. in the middle of writing it. How central is your body and your struggle with uh, your various illnesses how central is that in your own uh, autobiography that you're currently writing? It's, it's pretty central. Um, I would say going through my dietary changes and getting off of medications, which was hard enough by itself, let alone living through the autoimmune disorder I had as well as the mental illness that I have and thankfully don't have anymore um, or had, I should say it's central to the book. Um, but I'm hoping that, I'm hoping that the lesson people can take away from the book is half, you know, if they're in the same sort of situation I was in, half of that could be, maybe I could try this and see if it could help me. But the other half is you have more control over your life than potentially you've been taught. Uh, because I was kind of put into the medical system when I was seven and diagnosed with juvenile rheumatoid arthritis, I always felt like, okay, no matter what I do, I'm stuck with this. And so that was just how I lived my life until I was 23 and like somewhat miraculously put myself into remission by changing my diet dramatically. 
Uh, and after that, I kind of lost faith in, I, I might've gone too far in the other direction. I lost faith in just authority figures in general because it turned out diet could change my autoimmunity, which I had been told wasn't something that could happen. So I'm hoping that the book will show people that if they have an issue in their life, even if it's an extreme issue, like a medical condition, medical condition, that's something they should try and figure out for themselves, because it's unlikely that somebody else is going to do that for them. Do you think something's gone wrong structurally profoundly with Western medicine, Michaela? Oh, yeah. I, I don't know when that start, started, but a, a couple of things I think have happened. One, we put all our trust into the medical system, or at least I did. So if there's a problem, you go, thank goodness there are doctors, they can fix it for me. And then you're given a pill to fix some something awful, right? And then <clears throat> for me, like the, the pills come with side effects and then you're treated for the side effects. And it's almost as if you... It, and I wouldn't blame the sick person, but it would be better if more responsibility was put on the sick person to figure it out themselves. And I think it would have been helpful for me, even as a child, if I had just been told, we're not sure what's wrong with you, you're going to have to figure it out yourself, instead of spending 15 years relying on the medical community that really didn't know how to help uh, my autoimmunity. And I think a lot of people with autoimmune disorders feel the same way. The medications you get put on with an autoimmune disorder very rarely put you into remission and you're still stuck with it forever, the autoimmunity. I think another major issue is something's happened in the last, I'd say maybe since the 1970s or the 1980s, where people have gotten sicker. People have gotten way sicker. Obesity is a massive issue. Autoimmunity has gone up, mental illness. And anxiety as a sort of broad cultural phenomenon. Yeah, one in five people in the States right now is on a, an, on a psych med, and they're very difficult to get off of once you've been put on them. So there's a major issue, and I think it would be helpful to people who are sick if they were told that they're going to have to figure it out, because I think that's the truth, that there isn't a, a necessarily magic fix. And I get, uh, and I, I can understand why, but I get into trouble with the media because of the diet that I've been promoting uh, and like I said, I'd rather not be somebody promoting a diet. Why do you get has... into trouble? The diet seems... Well, it's uh, extreme. Uh, I'm quoting from one headline, <laughs> a beef-only diet. And I don't know why they added a world-famous father. I don't know what the world-famous father has to do with a beef-only diet. It says you have an unusual life. Um, I don't know what's unusual, though, about a beef-only diet. There are some strong carnivorous diets. I know my son went on one for a while. Uh, Rogan, uh, I showed a headline. He's back on the carnivore diet in 2022. Um, why is yeah. that weird, do you think? Or why is it interpreted as being weird by just eating meat? You, you're famous because you just eat beef and... Um, Lamb and... It's like meat. It's ruminant meat. Ruminant, ruminant animals. So that kind of meat doesn't give me any autoimmune symptoms. So it's like lamb, right. veal, bison, elk, beef. Why is that weird, diet. though? I don't understand why people are considering well, it. Well, I mean, it was weird. It was weird for me. Like, when I, I was on a paleo diet, I, so I didn't have any diet, and then I went on a paleo diet to try and get my autoimmunity under control. And I had some success there, um, but became more limited after I had a baby. My autoimmune symptoms came back, and the paleo diet stopped working for me. 
So I eliminated everything I could eliminate and thought, you know, I, I definitely don't react to beef. I don't get arthritis from beef. I don't get any of these mood issues from beef. I'll try that for a month and then I'll try and reintroduce foods. So I treated it a lot like a science experiment. And after a couple of weeks, my arthritis started to get better. After six weeks, the depression I was experiencing started to get better and I stopped crying in the morning. And after five months, my anxiety let up. And since then I've tried to reintroduce foods and I haven't been able to reintroduce anything without having these symptoms come back. So, I mean, to begin with, I didn't even know you could survive on an all meat diet. Now I think the carnivore diet's a little bit more widespread now. So people are aware that it's a possibility, but at the beginning, some of those articles are from years ago. Uh, at the beginning, people were like, well, this can't possibly be healthy. You know, she's definitely going to be sick eventually, but I was so sick to begin with that I was willing to take the risk. Why, why do you think we are suddenly the victims of all these different illnesses from anxiety to addiction to meds? obviously COVID, which is a piece of the narrative. Mm -hmm. Is it a, a, a consequence of, of, of capitalism, of the market, of globalization, of how we live, of the internet? I think it's a consequence of antibiotics, actually, for me, uh, and for, I think, for a lot of people with autoimmunity. Now, it turns out when you're born you inherit your microbiome, so all the organisms living in your gut from your mother. And so it looks like there's some evidence that antibiotic use, once you use antibiotics once, your microbiome changes. So if you have your, your grandmother who might've been on antibiotics once, gives birth to your mother, and she goes on antibiotics four or five times, I think generationally it damages your gut. And so I think part of the reason I have so many sensitivities and they're so extreme and that you know allergies are on the rise have to do with antibiotic use and then that combined with the diet we eat now which is very high in carbs and ridiculously high in sugar the amount of sugar the average american consumes compared to how much they consumed in like the 60s or 50s is it's insane i think people by the age of two consume the same amount of sugar people consumed over their entire life in the 60s and so i think that combined with antibiotic use that's what i would blame for the rise in uh in a almost everything that's health related, obesity, autoimmunity, mental illness. And then obviously the way we live now being exposed to the internet and the stresses that come with that can't and, and being isolated inside and not doing as much exercise that can't be helpful to people's mental health. But I, I don't know if I'd blame, I don't know if I'd blame anything. I think the, the main factor is probably antibiotic use. It's hard to say. Uh, 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 Rogan, I, I showed a headline earlier. Um, some doctors demanded Spotify put an end to Rogan's supposed COVID lies. What would you say to a doctor yeah. who would say to you, well, Michele, you haven't been to medical school. If you really have these strong feelings, why don't you go to medical school and become a doctor? And we still know a lot more than you do. How would you respond to that? Well, I would ask them what kind of treatment they have that actually puts autoimmunity into remission. And then I, I actually, I went back to school for biomedical science because I figured, you know, this arthritis was, it was absolutely crippling. I had my hip and ankle replaced when I was 17. And when I was 23, my right wrist was in such terrible shape that 
it was looking like that was going to be the next replacement. And it occurred to me at some point, it was like, my body is destroying its own tissues and I had rashes and it was, and I wasn't healing. Right. I wasn't sleeping well, uh, among a plethora of other things. So I went back to school to try and figure out what was wrong with me. And I was taking microbiology courses in case it was a microbiome or, or micro biological issue. I was taking immunology. And after a couple of years, I thought, well, I might as well look at diet just to rule it out. You know, people have allergies. So I cut out everything I thought I could be allergic to like eggs and dairy and soy and grains and ended up, and ended up kind of on a paleo diet. And when that started to help, I was like, oh, there, there actually are books written by doctors that I had just not paid attention to because I had thought diet didn't play a role. So there are lots of books written by legitimate medical doctors that use a very limited diet in order to treat autoimmunity. Um, there's one doctor called Natasha Campbell McBride who came up with the GAPS diet and I'd heard about it through naturopaths, but I'd never taken naturopaths seriously. So I've had, I've had doctors say things like that, but the fact is the reason I came to diet was through research. So it, there's also evidence that it takes about 30 years for actual research, peer-reviewed studies to make their way into the medical system. So the medical system is delayed. Like the fastest way to find out what's cutting edge is to go to peer-reviewed studies and just, just avoid the whole medical system. I'm kind of disenfranchised by it. It was frustrating to find out diet could play a role after you know, 20 years of arthritis. Yeah, we've done a lot of shows about the crisis of the medical system and many doctors, I'm not sure if they're in your camp, but they would acknowledge that there is a crisis. As I said earlier, um, yeah, I was just listening to your interview of your father, Jordan Peterson, um, from 2020. Your family has gone through an unusual amount of medical hell. Is that symbolic? Is it coincidental, do you think? I have no idea. I have no idea. It was insane. It was like, I was you've all been seriously it. ill. You, your father, your mom. Uh, yeah. I don't know about your brothers, brother's but a, certainly everyone has been seriously ill. My brother's perfectly healthy. <laughs> I don't know how my brothers dodged that, but like, thank God he has. But it, it was crazy. It was, I was unbelievably ill. Like, like insanely ill. The hip replacements and ankle replacements as a teenager. And then I had chronic fatigue, miserably depressed. And then I went on a diet and it reversed my symptoms in like three months. And my family and my doctors were absolutely shocked. And I was shocked. And then a couple of years later, my mom got like the rarest cancer that I had never heard of. Um, it was like, I think they'd, there were like 30 case studies of this collecting duct carcinoma. And they were all deadly. All these case studies ended in death and she survived somehow. So that just made no sense. And then my dad, my dad got, he'd been on SSRIs and I'd been on SSRIs. So antidepressants for like 15 years. And when he tried to get rid of his depression with diet and the diet worked, he stopped taking the SSRI and went into SSRI withdrawal which was absolutely catastrophic. And he was treated with benzodiazepines, this low dose of benzodiazepines. And so he took them for a year and a half or so. And when my mom got cancer, well, you, you listened to the podcast, but he went up on it and they caused this side effect called akathisia. 
And akathisia is the worst thing I have ever seen. I can't, like, I really can't imagine anything worse. Yeah, I think he says that it's worse than death. Yeah, and I've had, I I think I get messages now because I I was like, we have to talk about this because people will have to know. It's actually a fairly common side effect of psych meds if you stop taking them or if you just get, get this as a side effect. And so I get messages daily from these poor people with akathisia. So then we spent two years trying to figure out a treatment for akathisia because you can remove the medications that's causing um, that as a side effect, but then the akathisia can just persist. So that's what we dealt with after that. And I have no idea. It's a crazy coincidence though, because it was, it was just, it's just been miserable, but people are better now. So I'm extremely thankful for that. I am talking with Michaela Peterson, the host of the Michaela Peterson podcast, very popular podcast. She's one of uh, the most prominent, I think, next generation podcasters and polemicists out there. I hope you are not offended, Michaela, if I call you a polemicist, a polemicist of the new age, I think, of this new health centric age. You're very popular uh, on Twitter. You have uh, 167,000 followers. You have uh, 429,000 followers on, on Instagram. After the break, uh, you're, you're writing a memoir, which I'm eager to read, will be out next year, 2023. Uh, after the break, Michaela, I want to come back and I want to talk about God. So if uh, if we can hang around for 30 seconds, we'll be back with Michaela Peterson to talk God and, um, and illness. So stay with us, everyone. Hi, everyone. Andrew here again. I'm not sure if you're listening or watching or even reading about this Keenon show. I certainly hope you're enjoying it. But I wanted to remind you that there are many different ways you can use to enjoy my Keenon show. The first, of course, is by, in a very traditional way, subscribing to the audio-only podcast. You can do this um, using Apple or Spotify or CastBox or many of the other traditional uh, podcast distribution platforms. We're on all of them. And if you want to access uh, all the podcasts together, you can go to my LitHub page um, in their podcast section, which is dedicated to all the interviews. Uh, If you're into watching this, as opposed to simply listening, um, if you follow me on Twitter at AJ Keen, you can watch these shows live uh, and you can do the same um, if we're connected uh, on LinkedIn. I'm not on Facebook. I'm not a great fan of Facebook, but LitHub is. And on their LitHub live page, you can watch these shows live as well. Um, in terms of uh, recorded videos, uh, not live, you can see all the shows on the LitHub YouTube page. So whatever your preference, whatever your taste, whether it's video or audio or text, there's no excuse for not watching or listening to my show. Now back to Keenon. We are back with the prominent podcaster, Michaela Peterson, the host of the Michaela Peterson podcast. Um, A must listen podcast, at least in my view. We talked in the first half of the show 
about illness and the body. I want to talk about God in the second half of the show. Um, I don't know why the media, uh, Michaela, is so why they call you Jordan Peterson's daughter. They 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 should know your name anyway. This headline suggests you had a very sudden conversion uh, to Christianity. Another piece say you quoting you say uh, I found God. Um, all this relatively recent. Is there a connection in your mind between this discovery of God or theology? And the crisis of your body, which you seem to have overcome over the last five or ten years? Yeah, definitely. I've always been a very logical person, and I didn't grow up in a religious household. Like my, my dad talks a lot about the psychological significance of the Bible and the biblical stories, but but that was it. So there's no church, there's no praying, and there was the psychological significance of the biblical stories, but I wasn't particularly familiar with them. And I think what happened to me was I had a really rough, like I was very, very ill and it was really hard. It was like every single day was very painful and hard. And then I put that into remission with diet and it happened so quickly. Like I was sick for my entire life. I got diagnosed when I was seven with arthritis. And then, so all I can really remember is being ill. And then it was a matter of three months of changing my diet that put my symptoms into remission. And it was such a transformation that I, I told you before, I stopped trusting in kind of authority, right? Because the medical system was, I, I was probably at the doctor once or twice a month for my entire life. And when I lost faith in that, I was like, well, what else do I know of that isn't true? And then I questioned everything. And then my mom got sick and what happened with her is she got sick and over the summer when she was in the hospital and she, um, she had a pick line. So she was ill enough that she couldn't eat. So she was being fed through this pick line. So she was very ill. And over that summer, she converted to Catholicism. And, and she said, uh, she said in the summer, I'm going to be better on my dad, uh, my dad. So Jordan and Tammy's, um, anniversary, which is August 18th. And she was in the hospital from almost May until August. And the doctors said she wasn't going to get better. Right. And she was very sick. And in July, she goes, I'll be better um, on our anniversary. And she went down to the States to have surgery and the surgery failed. And three days later, everything cleared up and it was on their anniversary. And Anyway, so that happened in the summer and my family just kind of, we were just kind of like, that is really coincidental. That's extremely coincidental. And so that was kind of always at the back of my mind. And then my dad got sick and he was sick. <laughs> it was so awful. It's hard to imagine um, some of these like side effects. It, neurological problems can be particularly awful. And life was so awful that I was like, this can't, this is so bad. It's not even logical anymore. And I, you know, life can get bad, but it was like having to deal with fame and then being a primary caregiver for my dad for a disorder that the medical system didn't know what to do with. And I was like, how is this happening for the third time? And then at some point in the summer, I was navigating a divorce, my dad being unbelievably ill, being a primary caregiver, running his business, having a podcast and I was miserable and it's, and I met somebody 
And he said, how are you doing? And I said, well, I'm, you know, I'm living, but I'm not happy and I'm not depressed, but I'm like, but I'm having a really hard time. And he was like, well, this is why you need God. And I said, okay, that's great. When you say you met somebody, you mean in a romantic sense, or you just bumped into someone and you had a chat with them? It was somebody I worked with and it was a chat at that point. It was a chat, but I was like, like I said, I was in rough shape. So I think it was visible from the outside that I was not doing so well. Um, so I think that's how that got brought up. But uh, he met, he, he was, he's Christian, right? So he said, you need God. And I said, that's all fine and dandy, but I don't know what that means. And I've, I've been looking for something like that, but I don't know how to, I don't believe it. I think was, was the main issue. I just don't believe it. And he said, ask God to reveal himself for, to you. And so I went home and I was like, I prayed because I was, there were four major parts. I had no stability in any aspect of my life. My dad was unbelievably ill, like I said. And so I prayed and said, you know, please, please, you know, if there's anyone out there, please help me. Please reveal yourself to me. And the next day, all four of the major issues kind of switched directions. So it's not like it was completely illogical. There was, there was some reality where my dad would start feeling better, but it had been two and a half years. And it didn't look like he was going to start feeling better. And suddenly he was feeling better. Um, suddenly the divorce I was going through kind of went in a different direction. So it just went significantly smoother. And like all aspects of my life kind of went in a more positive direction. And I had this inner sense of peace the next day that I hadn't felt before. And that existential angst of just like, I don't know how, what, how to refer to it other than existential angst wasn't there in a significant way. And that was enough for me that day. It was like, my, my life has been so absurd up to this moment that maybe the most logical explanation is there is a God. And so <laughs> it's been, it's been strange. That's been since August, but I've been reading the Bible and praying and it's been helping. It's completely removed the existential angst. My life is much easier now. And I don't think I'll ever know if that was just coincidence or not, but it doesn't feel like it was coincidence at this point. Your father also, um, according to one headline, discovers the God, discovered the God hypothesis, one of the seven stories of 2021, according to this particular publication. Did he discover the, the God hypothesis before or after you? I don't think he's, I don't think he's exactly there um, in the same way that I would say mom. Would and you I like him to are. be there? I think that, I think it would help him. Yeah. I think it would, I think it would relieve a lot of the stress. Like I've always been someone, if, if some, if a situation is going bad, then I'll think about all the ways to fix it and try and fix it. Right. I've never been like lay back and let things work themselves out. I'm not that type of person at all. But I would say, and I would say neither is my dad, and it would probably benefit him like it's benefited me to let some of that control that you don't actually have go. Do you think we're living in this, and, and this comes back to what we were talking about before the break, an age in which in challenging traditional science, the science of the enlightenment, we're going back to the religions of the pre-enlightenment, I mean, it looks like that for me. I don't know what the stats say about 
if there's a kind of a more of a reemergence of Christianity. Is there a particular uh, church that you're attracted to, or is this a, a more personalized religion? At the moment, it's more personalized. So I've listened to pastors to try and find somebody who resonates, and some of them resonate more than others. And I've tried to go to a couple of churches, but this is pretty new to me. And I, what I found the most useful is reading the Bible and trying to, well, reading the Bible mainly and, and praying. I, so I'm at that point right now. I haven't found a church I'm particularly enthralled with. And I don't know if that's because this is all new to me or, or what. But so I would say it's more personal at the moment. Do you, do you see yourself as a political person? When we had our original conversation, you struck me certainly more on the, the right than the left. And, and how does politics fit into all this? I just don't like being told what to do by anybody. And like, like I told you, when I first put my autoimmunity into remission and lost faith in authority figures, I lost, I've always been disagreeable. So I've always been disagreeable and kind of, if there's a mainstream idea, I've thought, Maybe that's not quite right, but it was definitely exacerbated off after the diet and, and autoimmunity. And then since then, I've just, I don't have a lot of faith in the government. And I think at the, at this point that makes you more on the right, even though that originally, I don't believe that was more of a, more, more for people on the right. I think that was more of a leftist thing, but I, I, I just don't trust large groups of, you know, people trying to control what I do. Um, so I don't know if I'd be, I think I'm probably more conservative at this point, but I've always identified more as a libertarian. Do you think there are, you know, we're living in such strange times as if this, this new movement has different kinds of spokesmen. The headlines today are about Djokovic, the Serbian tennis player who got thrown out of, uh, thrown out of Australia for refusing to take the COVID vaccine. Are people like Djokovic um, early examples of a new kind of movement or perhaps a new kind of politics? Would that new kind be people who just don't agree with anyone? <laughs> what kind of new kind? Well, I'm asking you. I don't know. I mean, I suppose, I suppose there's and maybe this is just how I identify, but I suppose there's a group of people who are kind of opposed and this there probably always has been, but a group of people who are opposed to, to everything at this point or everything that's more, maybe more mainstream. I just personally, I know I've lost faith in, in most things. Like you read an article online. Oh, you know what exacerbated this? When my dad got, went viral in 2016, I was walking around Toronto and there were articles on newspapers comparing him to Hitler. And I, I like, I know my dad <laughs> and that is not, that's not a reasonable comparison. And I was like, these are newspapers I read on the side. He doesn't even have a mustache, your father, right? <laughs> exactly. So I think that, I think I lost faith in the media at that point. It was like, they're printing lies about my dad. Like, that's not how, that's not what he's like. And so that combined with the, oh, the medical community has been missing this massive, probably the most important aspect of health there is. So then there was media's gone, okay, medical system's gone. And then I don't think I ever really trusted the government. And certainly now, 
you, you can even like, in Canada clearly. Yeah, even in Canada. I mean, the government's nothing in Canada like it is in the States. It's less dramatic. Although nowadays it's kind of dramatic, but. Do you think uh, Michaela progressives, and I probably would include myself in in that camp, do you think we are wrong to just write off vaccine skeptics or skeptics of modern medicine as being primitive or ignorant? Yeah, I'd say you have to be careful writing anybody off, but in regards to the vaccine skepticism. Well, I think it's reasonable to be skeptical of an mRNA vaccine that's new for, I mean, I told you I've had COVID three times and my, I'm young and I'm Did you ever get the vaccine? Uh, No, I haven't. Part of that was because I kept getting COVID, so I still have antibodies, right? And the research I've read, I mean, there are some countries where if you get, I can't, I can't remember what country it is, but if you've been exposed to COVID and you have the antibodies, then you're theoretically immune for the next three months. So I've, I've basically just had COVID and then been immune and then had it again as soon as I'm not immune. And it's not bad enough for me to get the vaccine. And the reason I'm skeptical about the vaccine is because my autoimmunity is so random and so awful and so easily provoked that I'm like scared. And I'm more scared of that and of the potential of it exacerbating the old arthritis than I am of COVID. And so I, yeah, I think it's unreasonable to write off, you know, everybody for being a skeptical. Uh, Michaela, we had uh, Sam Quinones on the show. As a, he, he has yeah. a new book out, The Least of Us, about the fentanyl epidemic. Um, he's talking about the suffering uh, of dependency and addiction. What advice would you give to the many people now who are addicted to uh, fentanyl and, and, and benzo and the other um, quote-unquote medicines that you're you've you've argued against what what should people do should they turn to god should they become like you and question everything should they have a podcast um i would say for dependence and i i did a lot of research i did two years like daily research on dependence because my dad was dependent on benzodiazepines so he couldn't get off of them without these absolutely awful side effects Uh, which aren't that rare. Um, So I would say anybody who's stuck on a medication, including um, psychiatric medication is don't just stop taking them and don't go to a doctor that says they're not dependent forming, like go and find someone who says you can get off of this, but it has to be very slow. And it depends on the person. Like um, I was on Oxycontin after my hip and ankle replacement and compared to other people, I got off of it fairly easily. It was unpleasant. It was most certainly unpleasant, but I didn't have a year to get back on it and I managed to get off of it. So it depends on the person, but some people, their body changes and adapts to the medication they're on. So when you remove the medication, it's like you're removing part of what your brain's gotten used to. So I'd say do your research. Don't ever stop taking something very quickly because 
that kind of thing isn't about how strong you are as a person. It could be how your body is adapted to use the medication. So do your research and there, like, there are very, very, very long tapering schedules so that people's bodies can adjust when they get off of medication. And so it doesn't harm their brains, but do your research if you're stuck on one of these, right? Be really careful with your body. And it's not necessarily uh, about how strong you are as a person. How do you do your research, particularly in an internet age where there's so much fake news? I read a lot of peer reviewed studies. So I go to PubMed, right? Um, That's where I usually start. But then for things like, unfortunately, for things like benzodiazepine withdrawal or some of the medication withdrawals, unfortunately, a lot of that is talking to people who've done it themselves and, and going to online communities because it's so new. So usually I start with PubMed, but I'll also talk to people and interview them. I probably talk to 1,200 people who are either stuck or trying to get off benzodiazepines. And so doing that kind of research, even though it's seen as less scientific, if you talk to enough people, you can start to recognize patterns and you can get information that way. We are talking with Michaela Peterson, the host of the Michaela Peterson podcast and the author of an upcoming upcoming memoir. Has he got a title yet, Michaela? Yeah, I'm going to call it The Lion Diet. (laughs) No, it's going to be called Could Be Worse. Could be. Is that a joke? Um, no, it's kind of how I survived a lot of my life when things were really bad. I was like, okay, it gets to a point where everything is so bad, it gets funny. And then some, somewhere around that, you're like, well, you know, it could be worse. So at least there's that. You do, of course, have a famous father, Jordan Peterson, who I'm not going to refer to anymore, because I think that's a little unfair on you. I, I think we're in an age where we did a show recently on Dostoevsky, um, on how he came to write Crime and Punishment. I think we are living in a Dostoevskian age and the issues that you raise are deeply Dostoevskian. Also Nietzsche, I think, is particularly relevant. Are there philosophers who you read who you think are relevant, historic, maybe classic thinkers, writers? Well, I I was talking to one of my friends recently and a couple of books that I I think lots of people have read, but they would benefit reading would be 1984, I think is insanely relevant right now. And then that combined with Brave New World, I'm sure people have mentioned this, but those Why two books, both, I think. Why uh, 1984 and Brave New World? Well, 1984, because of, uh, I think the amount of restriction we're seeing, I think mainly, I, I know I read, I read a study and during the McCarthyism, 13.4% of Americans were concerned about talking about what they were thinking. And, and in 2020, we're at 40%. And this goes for Democrats and Republicans. So they're both 39 and 40% of people are concerned about saying what they think. And so I, I think 1984 is a good representation of world, that. And Brave World, of course, is uh, Huxley's book, A Dystopia in 1984, uh, Neil Post, post-famous in um, amusing ourselves to death that we got it wrong, that the key book wasn't 1984, it's Brave New World. Why Brave New World, Michaela? Well, because of all the, I think partly because of all the medical things I've been through and and the amount of medication that's floating around the States, like people don't really, I don't don't know if people are aware, but like I said, the last I looked, one in five people were on a psych med 
And it turns out those psych meds are dependence forming. And you're not told that when you go on them. Benzodiazepines, maybe people are more aware of, but even things like antipsychotics and antidepressants, which were giving, been giving out like candy during COVID because everyone's stressed out, uh, they're very difficult to get off of. And so I think that's kind of exemplified in Brave New World about, oh, take this, just be happy, right? It's creepy. Yeah, Irrelevant. we're a religion of happiness, which of course the great critics was the greatest of all critics of the religion of happiness of that kind of utilitarianism was Dostoevsky and Nietzsche as well. So Michaela Pietzen, real honor to have you on the show. It could be worse. That's the title of your upcoming memoir. I hope you'll promise publicly to come back on the show when the book is ready and we can talk about uh, your life more and the book and, and many other issues, which I'm sure will arise over the next year. Real honor to have you on the show. Keep well. And I mean that seriously. You obviously had a lot of struggles with illness, but I, you seem very well at the moment. And I hope you maintain your health and make sure you get that book out, Michaela. How much more to write? I'm at 170,000 words and I need, still need to write about Oh my God, that's enough. I need Stop. to cut. A Give lot. it to an editor and 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 move on. Well, good luck yeah, with the book, Michaela. Stay in touch, and uh, real pleasure Thank to have you, you on the show. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me.